Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, hello there. Good morning, everybody. We're glad you are here. We're in a new series called Fishing 101, and we're doing the series because Jesus often used the metaphor fishing to describe what his people and what his church is to be about. And that is the primary purpose of a church is to be fishers for people. We're all about reaching people. And it's hard to do that. After 25 years with this church, I'm in my 45th year of full-time ministry. And I can tell you, the hardest thing to do with a church, not unlike a business, is to keep it oriented to the purpose that it exists. To keep the main thing the main thing. So many times what happens in a church is you start out because you've got to have people, you know, just to survive. And so the focus is in the right direction. Let's reach these unchurched people. And so you put all your emphasis on getting them there. And once they are there, you kind of begin to staff it out and you begin to get comfortable and your meeting budget and everything's going well. And it isn't long until the church becomes more internally focused. And so instead of looking out toward people who are not yet in a church, you become more interested in the people who are attending your church. And a church will slowly start becoming a keeper of the aquarium instead of a fisher for people. <laughs> and so many churches have become that, just keepers of the aquarium. We're feeding the fish every week, and we like the little ones, especially keep those goldfish. You know, you got to have all those fish. And it isn't long until you're not evangelistic. And if you're not reaching people and you're just discipling those you already have without reaching anyone new, eventually your church will just die of attrition. You'll die off. In fact, churches who do not evangelize eventually fossilize. So we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And in our church, it's a push, it's a pressure, it is always on us to put in, at the leading edge of everything we do, every program, every pastor, everything we do has to have one eye on reaching people who are not in anyone else's church. And that's what we're about, that's being a fisher of people. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus was about. He was constantly reaching people who did not know him. He was constantly reaching out to people who had not yet received him. In fact, when you look at the purpose of him coming into the world, Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Well, if a church is the body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 12 says we are, then shouldn't the body of Christ do what he did? And if Jesus was about reaching people who did not know him, then certainly that should be our emphasis and that should be our priority. And so this is really the series is to reset that priority. As we move into the fall and we go into a great season where people are going back to school and we're getting people coming out of COVID, hopefully, prayerfully, maybe, uh, you know, all that's going on. It's a wonderful time to get people connected back into the life of the church. So we're talking about being fishers of people. Now, when John was baptizing on the banks of the Jordan, he recognized Jesus. In fact, it's significant because it's the first time people really recognized who Jesus was. When John said to Jesus, uh, concerning Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, people didn't recognize him as anything other than the carpenter's son. I mean, he's a great guy, undoubtedly. He was probably popular in high school. We don't know a lot about that. <laughs> 
I mean, a lot of the life of Jesus from the time he was 12 until the time he was about 30 is largely lived in anonymity. But when John recognized him, John says, there he is. This is the one, the Messiah that you guys have been reading about through all the Old Testament. This is the one who will be God's offering. His sacrifice of sin is why the term Lamb of God, who will then take away the sins of the world. Now, John's work was to prepare the way for the coming of this event. In fact, when it speaks concerning John in the Bible, it talks about him as a forerunner. Well, a forerunner is a nautical term. It's a little vessel that sails out from a larger ship when they're trying to bring the ship to shore, or bring the ship into a dock. What they'll do is they'll put the anchor in the forerunner and send the forerunner out ahead of the ship. And then the crew and the forerunner will row to the shoreline. They'll take the anchor out of the forerunner and they'll secure it on the beach. And then they'll grab the ropes and they'll begin to help steer the ship to shore. So the forerunner goes before, it's the opening act. <laughs> that was John. John's job was to get a crowd together to hand them off to Jesus. He was his opening act. And John was kind of a throwback to what they had heard about these Old Testament guys would, were like, those old prophets. He dressed kind of funny. His message was kind of eclectic. Um, he ate weird dietary food. He was just strange. People just came to, just to see John. They didn't know what he was going to say. He, he shouted a lot when he preached, undoubtedly. He's an Old Testament kind of a prophet. And so people were attracted to him. I mean, they just came to see John. And yet the Bible says concerning John that when Jesus comes on the scene, his ministry, John's ministry, will decrease and the ministry of Jesus will increase. So this is John transitioning when he sees Jesus on the shores of the Jordan from his ministry. Now he's decreasing. The ministry of Jesus is increasing. And so Jesus is about to teach a powerful metaphor to the crowd and to his disciples that he will begin to gather around him about the impact and the importance and the significance of fishing for people. Now he used that term because everyone, there was a fishing village where he brought the mess. Everybody was familiar with that. Most of the people in Capernaum and in that area of the Sea of Galilee made their living off of the sea. So him using a practical illustration to help connect with his audience was, was really genius on his part. Somebody analyzed the message of Jesus and said that the teaching of Jesus was about on a, 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 a fifth grade level. That when he, now, could he, could he go above that? Absolutely. He's a creator of everything. From when he was 12, he's in the temple and he's confounding the most learned men of that day. They couldn't believe a 12-year-old had that so, so much knowledge. So Jesus certainly could impress you with his intellect and his ability uh, to, to grasp knowledge, but that isn't what he did. He, he didn't, his motive was not to impress you. His motive was to express his father. So he put the cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody could reach them. <laughs> he taught at a level where everybody could understand. So he's teaching on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, where we'll pick up in our text, and he is beginning to teach about this metaphor of fishing to help them understand this is what it looks like when you follow him. In fact, that famous text we'll read in a moment, he says, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of people. If you follow me, I'll make you effective. If you follow me, I'll make you successful in doing the thing I have designed you to do. So the secret is following him. Now, Simon Peter is going to be a key character in the story. Simon Peter is the first one, first disciple Jesus selected. In fact, in the narrative we're going to read, there were four disciples that Jesus picked. There was Simon and his fishing partners. The partners in his business with him were James and John, sons of Zebedee. And the fourth one he'll pick a little later on in the chapter was an IRS agent 
He was a tax collector by the name of Matthew. So Luke 4 has four disciples that Jesus selects, but the first one is Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter had heard about Jesus. Simon Peter was well aware of the fact John had pronounced him as the Lamb of God. And so Simon Peter hadn't yet committed to Christ. He didn't really believe in Christ. He was just kind of kicking the tires and seeing what he thought. By the way, when John introduced Jesus, do you remember what he said? Remember, I gave it to you a moment ago. Behold the Lamb of God. Listen, he didn't say believe the Lamb of God. You know why I think that's the priority? Because before a person will believe, they have to behold. You need information. You, you, you need to think of it. Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You see, Christianity is not a, a discipline where you check your brain in the car and let someone in a building somewhere think for you. It's very reasonable. It's cerebral. It's intellectual. You can, you can think through whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, whether or not he's the Lord. There have been a lot of people that have tried to refute it, and they examined it closely, and they had to come to terms with where they are. That's why we tell our children, and we pray that our children will at some point own their faith. I can't own the faith of my children. I can expose them to faith, and I can pray that they'll, but at some point, kids have to own their own faith. I've told you before, God has kids. He doesn't have grandkids. <laughs> Meaning by that, you have to have a personal connection. Our kids will have to have that same personal connection. I can't believe on behalf of my kids. You see what I'm saying? And so people have to come to terms. People come to terms at different ages, by the way. People come to terms later in life. People come to terms with it early in life. Children make commitments early in life because they've come to terms with that. I was pretty young when I came to terms because I'd been around it all my life. My dad was a pastor. I didn't have a choice. You know, well, I did on that, but not on going to church. Good Lord, I was a, yeah, I don't go off on that. But the point is, <clears throat> I was exposed to it. I was around it. And typically when you expose people to something and they get a chance to behold Jesus and they're exposed to it, they typically believe Jesus a little quicker. So you'll find people gathered who are following him and were listening to him, but they didn't believe in him. Because you'll find a lot of the crowd went away. When he started introducing this idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, the Bible says many walked away that freaked them out because they thought he was talking about cannibalism. <laughs> they thought he was talking about some cult. Well, he was talking about, no, he was talking about communion. He was talking about the body uh, being like bread and uh, the, the wine being as blood. And he's talking, he's talking, but people who weren't committed to him, were freaked out by that and walked away from him. What's my point? My point is a lot of the people who followed him in the crowd, they didn't really buy in. Some did, some didn't. So here's Simon Peters. I set that for you. Simon Peters in the crowd and hadn't yet bought in. He's kicking the tires. He knows what John said. And by the way, Simon Peter invited Jesus to his house because his mother-in-law was dying. And he said, I've heard you've got miracle powers and so would you pray for my mother-in-law that she might be healed? And in Luke 4, it talks about Jesus doing something incredible. Listen, he laid his hands on, his, on Simon Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. Now, what's significant about that is the religious leaders of the day said, you don't touch a sick person. The rabbis of the day connected sickness to sin. They believed there was a correlation between a person's illness and their, and their sin. And so they saw it as being ceremonially unclean if you actually touch someone who was sick. That's what they believed. As crazy as that is, that's what they believed. So what Jesus did when he came on the, on the scene is he turned that upside down. 
He did what rabbis and what teachers and what uh, prophets never did. He touches his mother-in-law and heals her. Now, can I just broaden the lens out a little bit to say Jesus is in the business of touching people who are sick. Jesus is in the business of touching broken people. He's in the business of touching people other people leave alone. He's in the business of embracing people other people reject. He's in the business of loving people other people won't love. He's in the business, by the way, of loving people religious people don't love. He loves everybody. Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. The doormat of the church ought to be whosoever will, let them come. You see, it's not my job to clean the fish. It's my job to catch the fish. His job is to clean them. I don't know where the dirt is. So I'm suggesting as Jesus is, is presenting who he is, Simon Peter is curious, but he had totally bought in. And so now you see the, the background for our text as you see this providential purpose of God being fleshed out. Look in Luke chapter five as we'll step through this quickly today. In verse one, it says, so it was, here's the multitude, they pressed him to hear the word to hear the word of God, and that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place. And so here he is. Get the setting. Here's this crowd. Everywhere he went, people were drawn to him. Remember, most of them didn't believe. They were there out of curiosity. Some of them were there as consumers. They were getting something from him. He'll, in fact, he'll later, he'll, he'll do the feeding of the 5,000. And after that happened, a lot of people came, the Bible said, not to hear Jesus, but they came for the fish and bread. Fish and chips. He's going to do a trick. They came to see him. In fact, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus goes on tour with Jesus. And then it said concerning him, they did not come for Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus that he had raised from the dead. Now, what's the point? My point is everybody is drawn to Jesus for different reasons. Some people, it's kind of a consumer. I have a need. I need, I need what he has. I, I, I need help. And they come for that reason. And that's okay. Some people come out of curiosity. I've heard this church is different. I heard they do things different. I, I, I'm going to come out of curiosity. I never know what the pastor's going to say. So I, they come for all kinds of reasons. And that's okay too. People come to church for different reasons. They tune into a service like this for different reasons. Listen, Jesus never criticized why the crowds gathered, never criticized them for their motive for gathering. Here's what he did every time they got there. He made sure they got Jesus. You see, that's, that's what the church is to do. Regardless of why people tune in and watch online or why people gather, the, the takeaway, regardless of what happens, the takeaway is we want you to walk away understanding who Jesus is. <laughs> you see, that's the only thing. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. I mean, what did he say in Matthew? He said, one day I'll have to say to a multitude, depart from me, you've worked deceit. And then he said, I never knew you. You kicked the tires, but you beheld me, but you didn't believe in me. So the, the biggest import, the biggest emphasis of a church needs to be to drive people to the cross where they can make a decision to receive or reject Jesus. So Jesus has the multitude in front of him, and they're pressing in. And the Bible says, as they're pressing in, he sees these fishing boats. Simon Peter was a businessman. In fact, all the apostles were businessmen. They owned a fishing business. And as we'll see, they had just got off the lake and they were, they'd cleaned their nets. Now understand, those nets got dirty because they threw them in dirty water. And so they had to clean the nets. Every time they went fishing, a, a dirty net will scare fish, so they cleaned the net. And boy, that was time-consuming. 
You Google that, that there's a lot tied up in cleaning those nets. I mean, they were, they were absolutely working for hours to get the nets cleaned and prepped and ready for the fishing later that day. So they just got off the boat. Jesus is there. Crowds are coming. And what he does, the Bible here says, he steps on, he steps on this boat that was owned by Simon Peter. And he told him, hey, push out a little bit from the shoreline. Now, have you ever been out on the lake when the water was calm and you can hear people talking across the water? It's amazing how your voice will bounce around the water. You heard that? You'll hear something like, man, they're fishing in my favorite spot over there. <laughs> or you'll hear, what? wonder what bait they're using. Can you get in a little closer? <laughs> or you'll be like, man, I mean, she is mad at him. <laughs> I mean, you, you'll hear all kinds of stuff, right? And so I'm just saying, your voice, bounce. well, what Jesus did is he pushed back a little bit from the shore. The crowd was pressing in. Many of them were pressing in because they couldn't hear him. And yet he pushes back, and obviously there's an obvious uh, a, a projection of his voice off the water so everyone could hear. And so I don't know, the Bible doesn't say what he did, but he taught these multitudes from the boat. And they were there for different reasons, and they're there listening to him. And Jesus is there communicating to them. And all of a sudden, Jesus is going to do something incredible. He's about to do a miracle. He's about to do a miracle by causing a bunch of fish to swim into nets at a time of the day when the fish didn't swim into the net. Now, by the way, when you read of miracles in the Bible, we did a whole series about this. God, Jesus never did miracles for the sake of sensationalism, right? He, he didn't do miracles to, for, for sensationalism. I mean, if he wanted to, he had the power. He could have caused that whole multitude to levitate about six feet off the ground. Ooh, and they just held there. That'd been sensational, but that's not why he did it. The Bible says the reason Jesus did miracles was to prove he was who he says he was and that he can do what he says he can do. The purpose of a miracle was to verify, authenticate that he was from God. That's why he did them. He wasn't trying to be sensational. So he's about to do a miracle. Why? Because the people who are beholding him have not yet believed in him. So he's going to do something incredible to validate who he is. So then you see how he takes this, this, this metaphor of fishing with this man who is a fisherman, and he's now going to use this as a practical example of what he's here to do. Look down in verse 4, uh, Luke 5, and when he had stopped speaking, he turns to Simon Peter, the owner of the boat, right? One of the fishing partners. He just kind of pivots to Simon Peter, and he says to him, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, look now, for a catch. Now, I'm not a great fisherman, but I can tell you, they call it fishing, not catching for a reason. Would you agree? They call it hunting, not finding for a reason. Every time you go fishing, it doesn't mean you're going to catch. But what Jesus has just said to this fisherman is, when you do this my way, you're going to catch fish, not just fish for fish. <laughs> so he doesn't say, do this and we'll go fishing. He said, do this and we're going to catch fish. So it's a little subtle thing that's in the text that I don't want you to miss. And notice the response. Simon answered him and said to him, master. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's the only time Jesus has ever referred to his master. Uh, and let me help you with understand what that means in our vernacular. It's like saying, sir, sir. Sir, notice what he said. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. And understand, they were cleaning their nets when Jesus got there, right? You remember that part? They're cleaning, they're done. 
Now, when you fished on the Sea of Galilee, what that meant was you fished typically all night long. You'd start in the evening, you'd fish through the night. The Sea of Galilee is probably the, uh, is that, uh, the, the, low, it's the lowest freshwater lake on earth below sea level. And the Sea of Galilee, all that area around there could get so hot. So if you're going to be a, 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 a fisherman and you're going to be uh, successful enough to have a business catching fish, then you would fish at a time when the waters were their coolest, which was in the evening, typically all night long. So the fish would come up chasing bait fish and you'd be more successful. You'd throw your nets and you typically would do really well. Then once you get up mid-morning, the sun comes up, the water heats up, the fish go down low where the water's cooler, fishing's done. So you didn't see anybody that knew anything about fishing going fishing at the time Jesus said, let's go fishing. So I'm just giving you context. So Simon Peter had to be thinking, I got people in the crowd who buy fish from me. I've got customers out there that are going to look at this and think I've lost my mind. My reputation's at stake. I mean, these people know this is not the time of the day when you go fish. The sun is up, the water's heated up, there's no, and other fishermen are going to make fun of me. So he's very respectful in how he's done that. He says, Lord, <laughs> we've fished all night, and sir, we've caught nothing. And by the way, we do this for a living. And what he might have even implied in that is, uh, you're a carpenter, we're fishermen. You know nothing about our business. We know nothing about yours. So would you listen to a fisherman tell you, this is not when you go fishing. But notice what happened. Even though all of that might have been going on in Simon Peter's head, he uses a word and a phrase here in this text that changes his life forever. Here's the word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it changed his life. You know what he was saying? He was saying, God, it's not what I would do. It's never, I never saw myself doing this. I talk to people all the time. He said, I never saw myself in a church. I never saw myself being a, a Christ follower. I never saw myself praying. I never saw myself, you know, reading God. I never saw, that wasn't the me that I've ever seen. Uh, so I'm in a world I've never been in before. And that was Simon Peter was saying, God, this is not when you fish. It's not time day, but you've said this. So I'm going to do this based on what you said. Change his life. Have you ever thought about the fact one yes to God could change your life? You go over to Vatican City, and there is a, a huge basilica. By, it, it, it's, it's named St. Peter's Basilica. Do you think he had that in his head? They're going to build a church, a basilica, over my grave one day. That's what's going to happen. Nevertheless, I'm going to go out here, and as a result of this decision and then following Jesus, I'm going to be famous. Every joke that talks about going to heaven is going to have me at the gate letting people in or out. St. Peter. And when Jesus uh, launches the church in Acts chapter 2, the guy that does the inaugural sermon of the church, this guy, a fisherman, he just knew about fishing, and God took the practical knowledge that he used, the practical information that he had, and because Simon Peter did what he said, he changed his life. Notice what happened. He said he let down the net, and when they had done this, and by the way, nothing happens until when. The application. 
The Bible says if you know to do good, but you don't do the good that you know to do, it benefits you not at all. I mean, you can know how to eat right. You can know how to exercise. You can know how to build a business. You can, but if you don't actually do it, it doesn't benefit you at all. Jesus said, let's go and we're going to catch fish. But he didn't catch fish till he went and did it. Sometimes we're like, all right, God, show me, show me what you got. And once you've shown me what you got, I'll do what you've asked me to do. And God says, no, do what I've asked you to do and I'll show you what I've got. It requires that step of faith. They wouldn't have caught fish. Simon Peter probably would have never been convinced until he took a step of faith and said, your word says it, that settles it, we'll go try it. And notice what happened. They had so many fish, he had to call his partners out to help him. Now, don't miss this. When you do what God has called you to do, when you walk in your life, your marriage, your business, when you walk in obedience to God, you will bless everyone associated with you. His partners got blessed. You see, one person can make a difference in a family. One person can make a, business, a difference in a business. One person can make a difference in a church. When you walk in obedience to God, everybody connected to you gets blessed because of you. I mean, Simon's going, I got so much coming in. I can't. Come on, boys. Get out here with your boat and help me. And they're loading it up. Can you imagine? We got to cut Jesus in on this business. Oh my gosh, just giving 30% of the company. This is insane. Every time we go out, we're going to get, oh my gosh, we don't, have to, we don't have to work for a month. We're loaded. It's not all in there, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. And so they're, you know, they're looking at this, this huge bounty of fish that they're taking in and they're realizing, oh my gosh. And I thought about when I read that, I thought, you know what God was doing? You know what Jesus was doing? He was paying Simon Peter for the use of his boat. God will never ask you to do something that he doesn't reward you for it. He will never use something that you have without him blessing you with more. The Bible gives this principle about God. It says God will not be a debtor to anyone. That's why I think he'll bless an atheist. If an atheist does good things that helps people that God loves, he'll say, I'm going to bless that God. That's a principle. <laughs> I'm going to be true to my principles. I'm just saying God takes care of people when they walk in obedience, and he's blessing not only Simon Peter, he's blessing his partners. And they have all this fish. And notice what happens, and this is the close of my message. Look down in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He was blown away. Notice what's about to happen. He's going from beholding Jesus to believing Jesus has just done something in his life that blew Simon Peter's mind. He couldn't explain it. He, he, how in the world could this happen to me? I mean, I'm just, a, I'm just a fisherman. I know a lot about fishing, but I've never had a day like this. I've never, I, I've never seen this kind of potential. He's just shown me a potential that I didn't know I possessed. I, I've never seen the potential. Uh, all of a sudden, he realizes this guy is from God. Jesus is the real deal. He's not just a rabbi, and he's not just a great preacher, and he's not just a great communicator. He's not just a healer. He, he's actually <laughs> the Lamb of God. And notice he falls at his feet, and notice what he says. Depart from me, Lord. Notice he calls him something different now. Up there it was master, now it's Lord. Lord means leader. Lord means boss. He says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know why he said that? He said that because the religious teaching 
all the religious teaching he had been taught said God is far from the sinner. That you have a holy and righteous God and he's so far away from the sinner that he won't come near a sinner. He stays away from sinners. A lot of churches buy into that and on the sign, no shoes, no shirts, no sinners. <laughs> and they, they think that. It's religious teaching that leads them there. And Simon Peter thought, man, you are God, and I can't, I can't even be, I'm not worthy to even be in your presence, but can I remind you of something? Just as t Jesus touched sick people, he touches sinful people, which is all of us. In fact, if you'll read a little farther down, I told you about the IRS agent who came to faith in Jesus. It's in that same chapter. You know what happened? When he came to Christ, he had to give up the business. Because back then, Rome knew the best way to get Jewish people uh, to give up some taxes is to have other Jewish people collect from them. So the Jewish people hated the Jewish people that were hired by Rome to excise taxes because most of those tax collectors were crooked. It was like the mob, the mafiosa. And what they would do is they'd go to a person uh, who owed a tax bill to uh, you know, to Rome, and they'd say, look, you got a big tax bill. You pay me a little 20-something percent under the table, and I'll knock off, you know, a certain percentage of your tax bill, and I'll turn it in, and we'll both walk away. Well, Rome knew they were doing this. The Jewish people knew the tax collectors were doing this. Rome's attitude was, well, you know, a little something's better than all or nothing, so if they're getting us something, that's better. And the Jews resented them because they felt like they've, they sell, they're sellouts. They, they've sold us out. They're just doing this for the money. And so I'm saying, when you have a guy like Matthew, now he converts and he starts following Jesus, that's huge. That's like John Gotti saying, I'm going to be an evangelist now. Now, this is a big deal. And they throw a party for him. I mean, they throw a going away party for this guy. And everybody, can you imagine who was there? Always cue the Godfather soundtrack. I mean, you can almost see them there. And, and all of a sudden, listen, don't miss this. Guess who's there too? Jesus is there. What? Jesus is there. And the Bible says the people who weren't there, but they were on the outside looking in, were the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious people. And you know what they said? They said, look at him. He's eating and drinking with those sinners. <laughs> One of the accusations they made of Jesus, and he wore it as a badge of honor, they said he is a friend of sinners. Now, can I stop long enough to say thank God he is, or you and I would have no hope? Jesus perceived that religious attitude. And you know what he did? He went out and confronted them. Here's what he said. He said, I didn't come to call righteous people to repentance. Now listen, he wasn't saying they were righteous. Don't miss this. He's saying they're self-righteous. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance. I mean, one of the first steps of getting help for anyone is to acknowledge that they need help, right? First step to recovery. Nobody will come to Jesus till they know the need to. And the problem with religion is you get to a point where you don't think you need to. <laughs> and that's where these guys were. They wouldn't touch sick people. They wouldn't touch people they thought were sinful who were beneath them. And Jesus just turned that model on his head and he embraced the sick and he embraced the sinners. He was friends of them. And the beautiful thing about that is people went from beholding him to believing him because they knew he loved them. And so you have this dynamic that is happening here and you have this incredible thing where Simon Peter is wrapping his mind around Jesus and he's wrapping his mind around the fact that he loves him anyway.
And then Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, man. Fear not. Follow me. Follow me, and I'm going to take your skill sets. Follow me, and I'm going to take your ability as a fisherman. I'm going to use your personality, your gifts. I'm going to use all of that and allow you to be effective at persuading people concerning me. You're going to be a disciple. You're going to follow me. And Simon Peter's life was changed. Now, as I close, I talk to people all the time and said, you know, Bill, I need a, I need a fish moment in my life. I need a proof. I need God to do something like bring fish in the nets so then I know he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he could do. Well, Simon Peter was a lot like that. And in fact, he wrote two letters. It's in your Bible. He wrote two letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And in that letter, he gives evidence and he provides evidence for skeptical people like some of us to say, here's the proof, all the proof you need to be able to go from beholding to believing and following. Let me give you the two verses. 1 Peter 2, 23, 24. Simon Peter's at the cross. Three years after he began to follow Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross. And Simon Peter saw something like he had never seen before. Now, if you've lived in that day, you probably have witnessed a crucifixion. It was the most horrendous, horrific way to die. In fact, we have a word that we use to describe pain that is indescribable. We call it excruciating. It comes from the cross, excrucia, excrucify, excruciating. It's, it's coming out of the cross. It is a pain that is indescribable, and we use that word even today. It's a word that speaks of the cross. So he had seen people die, and now he's, he's, he's blown away. Now, we know he denies Jesus during this period of time, so undoubtedly he made his way to the cross. Probably in my estimation, he was wearing a robe, which was common for that day. He probably had the robe up over his head so people wouldn't recognize him, and he probably pressed in close enough to see Jesus on the cross. And here's what he said, and here's what he wrote. This is what blew him away. He said they hurled insults at him, but he didn't retaliate. Now, that was unusual. He said when he suffered, he made no threats. Well, everybody who's ever died on a cross screamed at their accusers and they screamed at their executioners and they screamed at the people in the audience and they cursed God. They shouted out and screamed out in pain. And Simon Peter was, I guess, maybe expecting that. He's thinking, surely this is what Jesus, this is about to, he's gonna, he's gonna say, this isn't fair. I've given my life to help people. I've healed people. I've healed some of your kids and I've healed some of your, and really? This is what you do to me? No one would have been surprised if he said that, but Simon Peter said he doesn't retaliate. He makes no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, meaning he realized he's doing the will of his father, and he trusted his father even at the cross. And then he said he bore our sins. He bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins, and we can now live to righteousness. And Simon said, by his wounds, you've been healed. He wrote that letter to us so that we could have the confidence that not only can we behold him, but we can believe in him because he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. Look, guys, I don't know what the next step means to you or for you. I think we all have a next step, a next step in following Jesus. For some of you, it might be more information. You're not there yet. You're still kicking the tires and this is all kind of new to you. You're not a bad person. You've just never really committed to following Jesus. So, okay. 
So that's your next step is, all right, I'm going to keep coming and I'll, I'm going to keep listening and I'm going to keep watching. Had a woman who was raised in the Jewish faith and she attended our service because her kids love, met kids. And after a period of time, she came and she visited with me and she said, hey, I want you to know in one of the services you did, right where I was sitting in that seat, I bowed my head and humbled my heart. I recognized Jesus was the Messiah. I quit looking for him and I knew he had already been here and I received him as my savior. And here's what she said. She said, had you pressured me? Had you pointed me out? I would have walked away. So I don't pressure people. I don't point you out. I know where you are. I know, I know what you do. Some of you are kicking the tires. I get that. Your next step is just to say, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep my eyes and mind open. I'm looking for information. I'm beholding the lamb. I'm not ready to believe him. Some of you, your next step is, I'm there. I really do believe Jesus is who he says he is. And I do believe he, I, I, I've never trusted him. But what do I have to lose? I'm ready to take the next step and invite him into my heart. Hey, some of you, your next step is coming back. Coming back. You've been hurt. Hey, I get that. You know what I've learned through Cindy being in heaven? I don't criticize people who've been hurt. Until your soul has been crushed and your heart has been broken, and until you've walked through that kind of a valley, I don't know you can sympathize and empathize with hurting people. So when I have somebody tell me, you know, Bill, I lost my spouse and I walked away. I get that. I hear somebody say, Bill, I lost a child. <sighs> Just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I walked away. I get that. Sometimes you need time. The Bible says God will put your feet in a large room. You know what that means? It means he cuts you some slack. God loves you enough for you to question him. He loves you enough for you to get mad at him. He loves you enough for you to walk away. But would you listen to the, some experience here? At some time, you've got to turn around, and you've got to walk back. You've got to start back. And some of you guys, that's where you are. In some ways, you didn't give up on God altogether. You just kind of gave up on church. I get that. At some point, you just pivot and you start back. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I can tell you, when you start back, when you take that step and you follow Jesus, he can change your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of speaking to these incredible folks. Thank you for those who've joined us online and for all those who will join us later in the week. Thank you for those who are watching from other states and in other countries, so humbled and grateful. And Father, I don't know what the next step is for anyone, but you do. You brought us together by a divine design because we all had something we just needed to hear. I pray we've heard it. So I don't know what the next step is, but I pray particularly for my friends who've never taken that step to trust you. That's the big thing. I pray that right where they are in this moment, if they're ready and prepared, I pray, they'll humble their hearts and pray a prayer like this and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, be a reality in my life. And I'll give you thanks and praise 
for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.